I have a question for you. Do you know what veneer is? If you know what veneer is, raise your hand. Okay, what is veneer? And if you know the answer, just shout it out. It's what? A thin layer of some substance on top of another. I think that's a pretty good answer. Would you agree? We find veneer in use in all kinds of applications of life. Those of you that work with wood, you know it's very commonly used in wood. And we see it in situations like this. This is a piece of wood. And the inside is plywood. The surface, I've been told, is birch. I can't guarantee it's birch because I don't know anything about wood. But I know that this is a much finer wood, a much more expensive wood than the plywood on the inside. And so veneer does a couple of things. Veneer makes a nice appearance way more affordable because a whole plank like this made out of birch would be much more expensive. So it gets the cost of nice looking finished products down. But what veneer is really about is appearance. Because the veneer on the outside covers up what's on the inside. In this case, it's plywood. In some cases, it's particle board or fiberboard or other inferior products. Veneer looks good on the outside and it hides what's on the inside. And because of that, I think veneer serves as a good metaphor for many aspects of life. I mean, let's face it, there often are times when we as human beings are happy to show people what's on the outside, but we don't want people to know what's going on inside us. We like to hide what's underneath. And therefore, we use all kinds of veneer at times to hide who we really are. And some people use the veneer of wealth. Some use the veneer of fashionable clothing. In the church, we sometimes use the veneer of spirituality. And we try to impress other people with our Bible knowledge or our awareness of church history and church traditions, or we use a lot of, of Christian lingo. And all of that is to show people that we've got our act together. And yet, that outward covering of spirituality, it may hide the reality that underneath we're struggling, or we're hurting, or we're in need of help. It can hide the fact that what we're What's really going on in us is that we're spiritually immature and we need to grow in our ability to live by faith. Living behind a veneer is really sad when we do it as individuals. But if the majority of a church operates with a veneer of spirituality, it can hide the fact that that church is spiritually unhealthy or even dying. And as we're going to see here in a minute, that is the tragic case with our spiritual ancestors in the ancient city of Sardis. Those believers are more concerned with looking good than doing good. They are 
spiritually impotent people and it's hidden beneath a veneer of spiritual success. And they don't even know it. And that situation is incredibly unhealthy. And so Jesus writes them a letter with some words of tough love. He gives them a very strong warning and urges them to turn things around. And that letter is written to a specific church, but it's preserved for us here in the Bible because it's a warning that every church needs to hear. You see, Jesus loves us. He loves his church. And he wants to protect us so that we won't make the same mistake that our spiritual ancestors did. And so with that in mind, let's look and see what we can learn from Jesus this morning. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. These are the words of Jesus as he dictates this letter recorded by the apostle John who then will send it off to the church. And Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Whew. Yeah. Whew. Now to start with, as we've seen, every one of these letters to these churches starts with a very special and distinctive image of Jesus. He portrays himself in a different way for each church. And here we see the image is one of seven stars and seven spirits. These seven stars represent the seven churches receiving these letters. And the seven spirits represent the character and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who works through the churches to complete the work of God in the world and to build God's kingdom. The main point of this image is to demonstrate that Jesus has power and authority given to him by the Heavenly Father. Jesus holds the churches firmly in his grip and he feels a sense of responsibility for his churches. And it is because of his authority and because of his sense of responsibility that he now writes to these believers in Sardis. And sadly, these are believers who worry more about their reputation than about the reality of their poor spiritual health. As a result, they place way too much importance on outward appearances. They are focused on the ornamental stuff of life to show everyone just how successful they are. And they do it with a lot of pride. Now we need to ask, why would Christians act like that? Well, these people learned it from their culture. Because Sardis was a very proud, arrogant, pompous community. At one time, they'd been their own independent kingdom, and oh, did that make them arrogant. And it occurs to me, they're not the only ones like that. Have you ever met a native Texan? (laughs) They boast about the same kind of thing. Texans love to say, we're the only state in the nation that once was an independent country. Well, Well, that's true. But that fact doesn't make Texans better people. 
but they love to boast about it as if it does. And just like some Texans today, the ancient Sards loved to boast about their former independence. Now they eventually were absorbed into the Roman Empire, so now they boast about that. We're part of the mighty Roman Empire. We've got the authority and power of Caesar behind us. And then due to trade and investment from Rome, the city is powerful. It's influential. And so the citizens of Sardis continue to focus on the outer trappings of success. You know how we can boast about living in the right neighborhood? <laughs> well, that's their attitude. We live in the right neighborhood because we live in Sardis. And we're important. And we're wealthy. And we're successful. We look good, so we are good. That's the environment of that community. And then the good news of Jesus comes into that community and some of these people become followers of Christ. But they bring with them those cultural attitudes into the church. <clears throat> and over time, the congregation becomes full of Christians who hide then behind a veneer. A veneer of superficial success and superficial spirituality. Jesus says to them, you have the reputation Right, that you're really good folks, that there's good stuff going on, which I think tells us that they must know how to do church in a way that's impressive. They must do church in a way that looks good on the surface. Maybe that means they have great contemporary worship for their day. Maybe, maybe they have people who stand up in front of the congregation and pray in very flowery and majestic ways. Maybe they just think the church is a success because so many rich and successful people are part of it. And all of that's just a mask. It's an attractive outer wrapper that hides an ugly inner reality. And Jesus sends this letter to them to peel off the veneer. And he says, yes, you may look good, but you are not doing good. Because beneath that pretty exterior, there's nothing but rot. We know what it's like to experience great difference between a beautiful outside and an ugly inside. We've all had that happen sometime with an apple, right? <laughs> Pick a nice, beautiful, crisp, shiny apple that looks so good and you bite into it and there's a piece of hidden rot down inside. Yuck! It looked good. But there was decay beneath the surface. That's the spiritual condition of this church because their reputation does not match their reality. And oh, they can fool themselves and maybe they can fool some outsiders, but they can't fool Jesus. Jesus always sees beneath the veneer. And what he sees in Sardis is a church on the verge of spiritual death. I mean, these are pointed words. And if Jesus' words alone aren't enough to highlight just how sick this church is, how sick this church is, here's something else to consider. As we've been reading these letters week to week, so far, Jesus begins every single letter with a word of commendation to the church. 
And that's because even small, struggling churches usually are still doing some very good things for the kingdom of God. It's not happening in Sardis. Jesus does not begin with any words of praise or affirmation. Because as he looks at this church, there's nothing good to commend. They are dying. It's not a pretty picture. And yet, even a congregation in this poor shape is not beyond hope. Jesus loves these people because he loves his church and he wants to give them a chance to turn things around. And so after this pointed comment about their dreadful spiritual condition, he tells them what to do to correct the problem. They need to remember where they used to be and then repent. Let's take a look. Wake up, Jesus says, and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. These Christians in Sardis are are so focused on polishing up their veneer that they literally have forgotten what it means to live by faith. They're so weak and, and, and they're so sick that they're like a patient on life support. They're just hanging on by a thread. It's no wonder Jesus says, wake up or you will die. This is a very stern warning and it's a warning that they must change direction. And yet it's also a warning that offers hope for a revitalized life. Jesus urges them to get back on track because there is so much more to life than just looking good. He tells them that their purpose as a church is incomplete, which means God still has incredibly good things for them to do. There is unfinished kingdom work waiting for this church if they will get back on track. And it's the work of the kingdom that always brings meaning to life. Not how good I look. So Jesus urges them to remember. To remember how it was when they started the journey of faith. Because evidently, at least for a season, they didn't live behind their veneer. And he wants them to remember the core values of the life of faith. And to not just remember, but to re-embrace what it means to be a Christian and to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. He's exhorting them to get back to the basics. And sometimes it's really good for people and really important for people to get back to the basics. I'm going to date myself a little bit here because I remember Vince Lombardi. How many of you remember Vince Lombardi? Some of you just know him as a figure of history. (laughs) Vince Lombardi was one of the great NFL coaches of all time. 
led the Green Bay Packers to NFL championships. They won the first two Super Bowls. Great coach, great team. But there was one, a time during one particular season when things were not going well for the Packers. And they were feeling full of themselves. And they were cocky. We're the Packers. We're hot stuff. But they weren't executing well. And the team was struggling. So Lombardi called a team meeting, pulled the team together, and he chewed them out. And then he said, gentlemen, we must get back to the basics. This is a football. Now, when you're talking to a group of NFL players, they obviously know what a football is. But he was making a point. Don't be thinking about the outward trappings. Don't be thinking about our history of success. Get back to the basics. We gotta know how to play football. We gotta know how to block and tackle and run and pass. Get back to the basics. So I started to think What's the equivalent for the church of this is a football? What's our basics? Well, the core for us is what we call the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. It's the good news that Jesus came and lived among us and revealed to us in the flesh who God is, and then Jesus went to the cross on our behalf so we personally could experience God's love. And that truth becomes a reality in our lives when we take our very first step of faith and we repent by admitting our past and expressing a desire for God to forgive us and give us a second chance. And we submit to baptism, which is not a religious ritual, but it's a very deeply spiritual act when we die to our old way of life and God makes us new and raises us into a new way of life and he places his Holy Spirit within us. And then we submit to the loving guidance of the Spirit and he changes our character from the inside out, which means he helps us get rid of our phony veneers so we can follow Jesus and live authentic lives of faith. That's the core. That's the basic. That's the gospel message that believers in Sardis heard and embraced for a season And then they walked away from it. They put it on a shelf and forgot about it. They left it behind. And the result was slow, steady, spiritual death. And lots of unfinished kingdom work. Jesus is exhorting them to repent and get back on track and to get busy with the work of the kingdom because that is what brings meaning to life. And so he says, you know, if you do this, you'll be making a difference in the world around you by tackling this unfinished kingdom business that I planned for you. And I've often wondered, what was Jesus specifically referring to when he talks about their incomplete works? What did he have in mind? I'm confident that the people in Sardis knew, but Jesus doesn't exactly spell it out for us here in this letter. However, I think we can make some logical inferences based on what Scripture teaches about the universal mission and purpose 
of the church. And here are three things that I believe always qualify as unfinished work for every church. Number one, make disciples. This is our essential, non-negotiable, perpetual mission from Jesus. We are to love people who are far from God. We're to be a winsome witness to them and hopefully draw them into the presence of God so they can get connected to Jesus. And then we day by day, week by week, help them learn to live as faithful followers of Christ. Number two, one another ministry. There are 59 Bible passages that urge us to care for other members of God's family in a variety of very specific ways like love one another, serve one another. Here's a good one, put up with one another. (laughs) Forgive one another. Be humble toward one another and many, many more. One another ministry is essential because we need each other. The life of faith is not designed to be lived alone because we're still broken people living in a broken world. And as we do one another ministry, we help encourage each other in the life of faith and we help each other stay on track with Jesus. And then number three is serving people in need. In Scripture, God gives us a very clear mandate to care for poor and marginalized people. It's not an option. It's a mandate. And we need to discern how to love them and serve them. We need to discern how to give such people a hand up, whether they're inside or outside the church. Until God's kingdom comes in its fullness, those three things always will be unfinished deeds for the church. And these are areas where we can invest our time and our energy and our finances to actually make a difference in the world. And we will find so much more meaning in doing that kind of good rather than investing a lot of effort in just trying to look good and impress other people. And as I think about this in light of us, Thurston Christian Church, the good news is we're not a dying church like Sardis. Not even close. We are individually and together doing much good for the kingdom of God. Here's what we need to grasp hold of though. Even though we're spiritually healthy, we still have unfinished work to do. We always have unfinished work to do. And that's why we keep pressing on, pressing on to make disciples, to engage in one another ministry, and to serve those in need. And my prayer is that we never, ever stop until Jesus returns. But the tragedy of Sardis is they stopped. They forgot. They forgot what makes a church a church. It's not about the building or the decor or a calendar full of programs or a congregation full of beautiful people. What makes a church a church is faithfulness to the message and mission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And because the Sards have forgotten so much, they need a dramatic makeover. And Jesus tells them here how to do it. They need to repent. And I think repentance likely is something else they've forgotten about. And if we're not careful, we, we might as well. You see, we know that in order to become a follower of Christ, we need to repent, ask God to help us make a fresh start. We need to be forgiven of our sins, but sometimes we think repentance is kind of like this one and done thing. It happens when we become a Christian, and then we never need to repent again. Oh, if only that were true. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, repentance never stops. And that's because there always are areas of life where we will mess up and fall short of God's best. And when the Holy Spirit makes us aware of those things, we need to go to God and say, I'm so sorry, I messed up here. Would you please forgive me and give me a fresh start? Get me back on track with Jesus. And that's where the people in Sardis are. These believers need a fresh start. Oh boy, do they need a fresh start. And so for them, repentance means they need to admit to God the truth of their deplorable spiritual condition. They need to express some sincere sorrow and regret that they let things get to that horrible point. And they need to say to God, Lord, we want to change. And if they peel off the veneer and they're honest with God like that, oh, then they can receive God's forgiveness. They can get a fresh start and step back into an active life of faith. What Jesus is doing here is offering this church some tough love, some words of critique and correction, because he wants them to know, yes, there's hope, and yet, because they're on spiritual life support, time is running out. If they don't repent, then Jesus is gonna show up unexpectedly. He says, just like a thief, and he's gonna deal with them. And if Jesus has to show up to carry out God's justice, it won't be pretty. Jesus is severe, so they will take this warning to heart. Because he wants the best for them, and he wants them to embrace change. Well, up to this point in this letter, it's kind of been a litany of bad news. But at the very end, there's a piece of good news. Because as Jesus looks at this spiritually dying church, he finds a little spark of life within it. You see, there's a small core of people who continue to trust Jesus. And he urges that group to remain faithful despite the risky challenges of continued involvement with a deeply unhealthy church. Let's see how Jesus wraps up this letter. It's rather interesting. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, so think about this. Jesus is writing to the whole church, but now he's highlighting just a few, which means the whole church is hearing what he's saying to the faithful. Verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I find this rather amazing that in the midst of this very superficial church, 
there's a handful of men and women who continue to live by faith. And evidently, they don't focus on creating a veneer of spirituality like the rest of the church. Instead, they hold on to the gospel and they keep living it out. And Jesus gives them a promise, remain faithful and you will be honored. And as we think about this, this core, this remnant, there's a really important point for us to grasp. Jesus never goes to them and says, you know, you guys are in a really sick church, so why don't you just get out of there? He never tells them to leave. He says, keep pressing on. And I find it fascinating because today we find it so easy to change churches and we often do it for very superficial reasons. Now these people in Sardis have very valid reasons to leave the church. Humanly speaking, it makes perfect sense for them to move on, but Jesus urges them to hang on. And that won't be easy. That will be risky because they will battle temptation from within the church itself. They're going to battle the peer pressure that so often drives us to fit in and be like everyone else. They haven't yielded to, to it so far, but if they continue in it, who knows? That's why Jesus exhorts them, keep pressing on, hang on. And why does he do that? Why does Jesus want them to stay? It's because by remaining within that church and by modeling a gospel-centered life, that remnant can be a source of renewal. If the rest of the church takes Jesus seriously and repents, Jesus wants them to stay because when something is dying, even a small spark of life can result in new growth. I, I learned this in a vivid way when we bought our home in West Springfield. There was a big, big chunk of our property that was totally overgrown with blackberries, about a third of an acre. It took me two years to get those guys out of there. <laughs> because blackberries are tenacious, aren't they? I found out something fascinating. I can't tell you how many times I walked up to a root ball that was dark and corroded and dead, and I thought, I got it! <laughs> and then over in a corner, there was a little tiny green shoot coming out. Because with a blackberry, if there's even a spark of life, it will tenaciously sprout and grow, right? That's how they do it. Now, with blackberries, we don't like that because <laughs> we want to eradicate them. But think of that as an illustration in a good way for the church. If there is even a little tiny spark of life in a dying church, God can use that to go whoosh and bring about rich new growth. And if the rest of the Sardis church repents, there's a core there who can help them remember what it's like to follow Jesus faithfully. Churches need people who are faithful to the gospel. And if this core stays faithful in that church, despite the risks, despite the challenges, despite the temptations, then Jesus says, God has rich rewards in store for you because you will have endured a lot. 
And so he describes these faithful men and women in Sardis as wearing garments of white because that's the color of purity and it's often used in the Bible to describe the victory of faith over sin. Here's something you may not realize though. By talking about clothing, Jesus is making a dig at the culture of Sardis because much of their economy is based on the manufacture of fine garments. The way people dress in Sardis is part of their veneer. It's part of the way they strive to look good on the outside, whether or not they're healthy on the inside. And so as Jesus affirms the reward for the faithful remnant, remember the whole church is hearing this letter. Here's what I think he's saying to the church. If you want to wear proper garments, then hold on to me, and I'll clothe you with the real thing. Goodness and godliness and purity. That's what Jesus wants us all to wear. The character of a godly life. A life that makes a difference for us and for those around us. And then Jesus says, as these faithful people follow him in this life, then they're going to receive the reward of eternity. In the next life they will be with Jesus forever. And that is our eternal hope. And hope is what enables us to keep living by faith when life is hard. And so these final comments to this faithful few, that reminds us what can happen when people take the gospel seriously, when people listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And what the Spirit is saying to the churches is so vitally important for us to hear. Don't worry about looking good do good. Specifically, keep pursuing the unfinished kingdom business that God has entrusted to his church. That's the message for every church in every age. A while back I ran across an example of a modern day Christian who I think unfortunately could easily have been part of the church in Sardis. It's a true story about a woman named Janine, and she was very wealthy. She was single and middle-aged, and she lived in an elegant, elegant penthouse in the heart of New York City. She attended an upscale church in her neighborhood along with other wealthy people. And she wore the latest fashions, and she socialized with the in crowd. Janine was living the good life. Well, at one point, she needed some additional help around the house, so she hired a foreign immigrant to work for her as a houseboy. And this young man was in his early 20s, and he was an orphan who tragically lost his family during a civil war in his native country. And he was able to scrape together some money, and he came to the U.S. to find a better life. His name was extremely difficult for Americans to pronounce, so he called himself Carl. And Carl worked for Janine for about three months, and then one day he turned in his resignation. Janine offered to give him a substantial raise, but he refused to stay. He said his decision to leave was about something more important than money. Janine said, but you're poor, and you have a good job, and I'm offering you a whole lot more. What could be more important than that? And Carl's reply went something like this. 
I've decided that a healthy life is based on more than money. A healthy life requires a spiritual foundation. So I've been checking out various religions. I hire myself out as a household servant, not just to earn money, but to see how different people of faith actually live. In your case, you call yourself a Christian, but it seems to me that your real trust is not in this Jesus you sometimes talk about. Your real trust is in your money, your possessions, and your social status. I'm sorry to say, but it looks to me like your religion is mostly ornamental. So I will look elsewhere to find spiritual truth. Wow. Janine was living behind a veneer. And as Carl watched the way she lived, he saw what was beneath the surface. And it caused him to conclude that Christianity was not a valid spiritual option. And that, that's tragic. And it happened because Janine failed to understand that Jesus had something better in store for her, just as he had something better in store for the believers in Sardis. It's what Jesus has in store for every believer in every church, in every age. Jesus wants his followers to not worry about looking good, but instead to focus on doing good. We need to be the kind of people who peel off the veneer and live authentic lives. We need to hold firmly onto the essentials of the faith and never let go of the core gospel truth. And then we press on with the unfinished kingdom work that God has entrusted to us, his church. We make disciples. We love and serve one another. We lift up people in need because that's what churches do. That's who churches are. And as we continually embrace this mission, as we continually embrace this purpose, and you know what happens? Jesus will continually breathe new life into you, into me, and into our church and we will thrive and be a light for the gospel in our corner of the world. May we never forget the story of Sardis and resolve not to wind up where they did, but to keep pressing on in the path God has laid out for us so that we will pursue our unfinished kingdom work together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's not always easy to hear such stern warnings from Jesus, but sometimes we need to to hear these kinds of wake-up calls to protect us so we don't head down the wrong path. And we thank you for reminding us what's really most important. Please help us to listen to the Holy Spirit and to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit so we increasingly can become the church that you want us to be. A church that relentlessly pursues the work of your kingdom. 
doing the good and life-changing work you ask us to do. Doing the kingdom work that impacts people now and for eternity. Oh, Father, please work in us and through us that our faith might be vibrant and that we truly might make a difference in our very broken world. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.